the angel said to them, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Good news of great joy for all people. You know, when we think about the holiday season and we get into this time of year, you know, it's just my favorite time of year. I love Christmas time. I love all the trappings of it. I love all the traditions of Christmas. I love the spiritual side of it most. But the other part is fun and it's enjoyable. And even in 2020, it's going to give you some hope and some joy. It might not feel like it sometimes, but it will if you allow it to. And could you use some good news? How many of you could use good news? You know, that's funny because I ask you guys questions and a lot of you kind of go, I don't want to participate. I don't want to draw attention. But man, you all just went, boom, I need that stuff. Good news of great joy for all people. And that's what we're going to look forward to. You know, we've had a lot happen in this year. You just, I think for a generation or two, you just say the words 2020, it'll be like 9-11. Everybody will just know, yeah, that was bad. That was real bad. And I hope 2021 doesn't follow along and do the same thing. And we had maybe one of the craziest elections in my lifetime, and I lived through 2000, like most of you did, and this one is even worse. And then, you know, you just all of us add in your personal frustrations. What are you dealing with? The kinds of things people have always dealt with. That didn't change in 2020. It just seemed to get magnified. And we're all dealing with these things. And so what do we need more than anything right now but good news of great joy for all people? Amen? Amen. Good news of Christ's birth. That's what the good news is. More than anything else, the greatest news you'll ever receive. I know some of us felt like if on November 4th our candidate got elected, we thought that might be the great news. That's not. That's not even not anything. That, doesn't, that pales in comparison. Some of you who are like me, you love sports, you hear about your team winning the championship, you think that's great news. Nope, that's not even close. It's Christ's birth that we celebrate at Christmas that is the real good news. Now think about those of you who have been blessed to have children. Think about your first child's birth. Now I bet you felt like that was some good news. Maybe even great news. I can remember when Michael was born, our oldest, he uh, you know, was not exactly planned when we found out that he was coming. And don't worry, I've told him all this. and He knows we love him, so you don't have to worry. Man, I can't believe he's saying that out loud. But yeah, we actually cried when, we took, when Barb took the test because of where we were in our life. We had just been married less than three months at the time. Our plan was to you know, get our financial foot on the ground and then have children. It didn't work out that way. And boy, I'm so thankful now. Because the morning of uh, uh, April 15th, that Friday morning when he was born... That was good news. I enjoyed the idea that I was now a father. And if you came to my church, uh, uh, Blanket Creek Baptist Church, on April the, 20, April the 17th, that Sunday morning, and you heard me preach, you would have said, boy, something gotten into him. I was bouncing off the walls. Everybody in the church said, boy, you sure are happy today. And I said, that's because I got a boy. He's my son. I'm excited. And I was so pleased to be able to share that good news. But you know what? In spite of all of that, that wasn't even close to the good news of Christ's birth. Now, I know for Mary and Joseph, they probably felt maybe similarly than what Barb and I felt. In fact, it was more 
concerning for them because they weren't even married yet. When Mary found out she was uh, going to be a mother and having a baby, she wasn't even married yet. And so I'm sure the struggle, the crisis of that pregnancy was far greater than anything that I've ever faced. Now, some of you have faced that. And thankfully, as far as I know, you uh, brought your baby to term and, and you allowed God to bless your life through that child. That was good. I'm glad for that. But, you know, they struggled. They went through a lot. And, you know, you and I today are facing sometimes similar kinds of things. Uh, It's not an unplanned pregnancy, but it's an unplanned crisis in our life. An unplanned health scare or financial struggle or, or anything that you can imagine that interrupts your normal flow of life and stops you and makes you think, whoa, everything is not going the way I planned. And some of these things are not very enjoyable. But I want you to know in spite of that, that God can work in your life and bring you some good news. He can still work through these crises and these trials in your life, and he will do so. Now also think about those shepherds that we heard about in that story. Those shepherds, the the lowly outcasts of Jewish society in the first century. Shepherds, even though they kept care of the flocks that would be brought to the temple and that they would take these flocks to the temple, sacrifice them in a wonderful ceremony that they all appreciated because it meant that God was forgiving them of their sins. But the people they put in charge were the shepherds. Some of them were very young. Others were a little bit older. But almost all of them were looked down upon. They were smelly. They were dirty. They would spend days, sometimes even weeks out in the fields, and they didn't look too nice when they finally came in. Not very clean shaven, although they didn't clean shave as much like we do, Uh, but you know, they had scraggly looking clothes and everything. And they also had kind of a reputation for being dishonest. When they did come to town, people guarded their coin purses. (laughs) That was a reputation, whether it was earned or fair or not, I don't know. But it was the shepherds that God spoke to first after Mary and Joseph. Why? Why do you think he picked the lowly, the outcasts, the people that were looked down upon? I think one of the reasons we find in 1 Corinthians 1.27, that scripture up there, that God chooses to use the foolish in order to shame the wise. Think about it. If you wanted to make up a world religion, would you start by picking the least as the ones to be your first missionaries of the message of your good news, of your religion? Uh, Think about that. The, The shepherds would not have been a good candidate. If they had put an ad in the paper, they wouldn't have said, we'd like some lowlifes that no one respects to come and, you know, tell about our new religion that we're creating. No. What's more is you then fast forward uh, 30 some years to when Jesus died on the cross for our sins and then he was resurrected. Who were the first missionaries of the good news of his resurrection? But women. Now women today get far more respect than they did back then. Because back then women were property. Women were not to be believed. In a court case, if a woman was your only witness, you probably didn't bother bringing the case to court because they wouldn't be trusted. And yet those were the first people, Mary and Mary Magdalene and Martha were the first ones to witness that Jesus had risen from the dead. What does that tell you? I think that tells you they didn't make this stuff up. 
This is real. And when it's real, it's not fake news. It's good news. The good news of Christ's birth. And what's more, it's not just good news. It's great joy that comes in this good news. You long to see a miracle in your life, don't you? I bet everyone here has some miracle they'd like to see happen. It might be a small one. I sure hope my dinner doesn't burn this afternoon. (laughs) Or it might be something major. I sure hope that when I go see the doctor this week, the tests are negative. It might be that you need a miracle of an unexpected check in the mail this week. Those don't seem to happen to me very often, but sometimes God provides. Think about the miracle you need. But you know, the greatest thing any human being has ever needed was forgiveness of their sins. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. If you are a sinner like me, your destiny for all eternity is a place called hell that God didn't want you to go to. He reserved it for Satan and his demons. But if we don't choose Christ and accept forgiveness for our sins, that's our destiny. But Jesus brought in good news of great joy. You don't have to experience a place called hell. You don't have to experience what Jesus himself described as torment and misery, uh, hellfire, gnashing of teeth. Sometimes we don't know what that means. Imagine something that is bringing such intensity that you're just teeth gritted and, you know, grinding them. I remember hearing that, uh, A friend of mine said he he had trouble at night and he had to put in a special tooth guard because while he slept at night, he would grind his teeth and it was getting to where his teeth were actually starting to lose their uh, uh, strength. You know, he had to go to the dentist and put some uh, fillings and stuff in because they were starting to have so much problem. Can you imagine that? Having that much stress? Well, imagine that for all eternity. But you don't have to be there. You don't have to go there. That's good news of great joy. God wants you to enjoy an eternity with him. And he wants you to enjoy a down payment of that eternity now through his Holy Spirit. God wants us to have one thing in our lives, and that is a Holy Spirit within us. You say, what's that mean? That means that when you stop and you realize you're a sinner and you ask Jesus to forgive you for your sins, you are cleansed of all your sins. He takes them all away. He wipes the slate clean as if you had never done a single thing wrong. And then... He doesn't end there. He sends in a miraculous thing that I don't understand and can't explain, but the Bible teaches it. And I've experienced it and felt it personally. The Holy Spirit in your life. So that when you're going through your day, sometimes the Holy Spirit gives you just a little understanding. You know, that's not right. Don't do that. That's going to cause a lot of misery in your life if you give in to this temptation. Don't do that. Just a little reminder. Do you get those? Have you heard those? Or you're trying to make an important decision that will affect you, your family, maybe even your community and all kinds of people around you that you care about. And you're praying, God, I need some wisdom. And he promised us in James that if you ask for wisdom, he'll grant it liberally to everyone who requests. And how does he do that? Through the Holy Spirit in you. So you pray, God, give me wisdom as to how to make the right decision in this circumstance in my life. Should I quit my job and go get a new one? Should I retire uh, should I marry this person or that one? Should I, I, Usually it's not an option. It's not like two people standing there asking, but sometimes in Hallmark movies. But anyway, uh, you know, you've you, you got decisions to make. A fork's in the road. Should I buy this car? All kinds of little decisions. 
every single day, and macro, big, honking, huge decisions that come along rarely, but importantly, they come along. And you need help. And you say, God, give me wisdom. And he says, okay, I promise, I'll do it. And then you start to have the impressions in your mind through the Holy Spirit granting you understanding. You start reading the Bible. I can remember making important decisions and I'm reading scripture that doesn't seem to have anything to do with that and yet the Lord still seems to speak through those passages. When we were trying to decide whether to move to North Carolina from Kentucky or not, I said, Lord, help me. And for some reason, he sent me to the book of Leviticus. And today I still can't really point to the verses that gave me that wisdom. But as I'm reading the book of Leviticus in my daily devotions for a month, I felt the wisdom of God telling us to make the move. How does that work? I don't know. It's a miracle. But it's real. And it's good news of great joy that he wants to work in your life. And that's the greatest gift you'll ever receive. The gift of salvation that brings the Holy Spirit in your life sealing you and holding on to you so that when you're ready to go into heaven for all eternity, you'll be able to. I think about my son, Daniel, and just this uh, last weekend when we were up in High Point visiting, he's living with my in-laws while he goes to UNCG right now. And uh, he, uh, he said, Dad, how do you like that wallet? I had taken my wallet out, and I had totally forgotten where I got this wallet. I mean, it just was my wallet. I but two years ago, he bought me, bought me that wallet for Christmas. He said, how do you like your wallet? I was like, that's a weird question. Well, I like it. It's fine. It's good. I mean, it's a good wallet. He said, good. I said, oh, and then I remembered. You got me this wallet. He said, yeah, I love it when I get you stuff and you like it and you really use it. A few years ago, he had gotten me this little Bluetooth speaker that I could plug in, you know, hook up to my phone. And it was just a cheap little speaker, but I used that almost every day for a few years before it died on me earlier this year. And he was so excited that he got that speaker for me. And he says, I really like getting you gifts that you use and that you really like. And I thought, you know, that's how God is in our lives. He really likes to give us gifts that are wonderful and precious and valuable to us that we will hold on to and experience every day. And that is the good news of great joy when the Holy Spirit comes into your life and he is there for you every single day. God wants us to enjoy that wonderful gift and wonderfully sing joy to the world everywhere we go. So that brings us to my symbol of Christmas. What has all of this had to do with a Christmas tree. Because that's the symbol. This first of three that I want to talk about over the next three weeks. The Christmas tree. You know, when you think about a Christmas tree, isn't that really kind of, for, the, for most of the world, isn't that really kind of the main symbol of Christmas? The one that most people think of most. You know, when you talk about celebrating Christmas, have you put up your Christmas tree? That's the, the first one. How many? Put up your Christmas tree yet? A few of you? Yeah, we haven't yet. We've gotten bad about this. We don't put it up as quickly as we used to. I guess when your kids grow older. But it is. And what is it? Well, think about this. It's a beautiful decoration. It brings joy and pleasure to the people who experience it. It has lights on it. And, you know, we are the light of the world. Where do you put the gifts of Christmas? You put them under the tree. And that wonderful gift of Christmas, of Jesus Christ, that most important gift that we ever will receive. 
And so the tree symbolizes all of that, that we receive the gift and then we bring glory and honor to God and we show the light of the world. Now I put on Facebook a little, uh, I put a, a little uh, uh, poll on my Facebook feed and a bunch of you answered the poll and I said, what do you put on the top of your tree? And some of you said, I said two things, do you put an angel or a star? And then something else, comment below if it's something else. I don't know, did anybody go back and look? Can you guess which one won the poll? What do you think? How many think angels? All of you who put angels on your tree are raising your hands, right? How many of you think stars won the poll? All of you who put stars. Well, the star won and it wasn't even close. It was pretty overwhelming. And, you know, I thought that was interesting because as a kid, you know, we'd go and get the tree. And for a while we had the plastic, you know, put the branches in the pole, red goes in red and green goes in, you know how that goes. And then uh, my mom threw that away because it got so gross and terrible and ugly looking. And from then on, all through my teenage years, we would go get a live Christmas tree. And usually it was me. I'm the youngest in the family. My sisters were all grown or almost grown. They didn't care as much about it. I was a little more interested. So I'd go with my mom and we would go pick up the Christmas tree. We always went to the same place. There was a St. John's Catholic Church just down the road, and they sold Christmas trees in order to raise money. And my mom always went there because she said they had the best trees for the least money. And we'd always pick us out a nice, beautiful, full Christmas tree. No Charlie Browns in our house. And we'd bring it home, you know, and you put the lights on first, and then you put all the decorations. And we always had fun decorations and pretty decorations and old ones that my mom had made you know, long ago, and we'd still put those up. And we had ones that meant something special to us and others that, you know, just the ordinary gold and green and red balls, you know, and uh, you, know, you should just put all this stuff up and then we'd put tinsel on. But the last thing we always put on was, can you guess which one? The angel, right on the top. My mom had made it when I was a little kid and we always used that angel. I don't know where it is. I bet one of my sisters has it. They have all the stuff because they stayed there and took care of them more than I did. But I think about that and how beautiful and wonderful they are. Those ornaments that mean so much. But you know what? You and I are ornaments on God's Christmas tree. We each mean something special to him. Each one of us has a special story. And it's our job to share that message, that story And our job is to share that message and that story with the people that we meet, the people that we live with if they don't know it, the people that we work with if they don't know it, the people that we uh, live near, and really all people. Because after all, what does it say? Don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy For all people. For everyone. You and I share the message to everyone. Mary and Joseph heard it first. The shepherds, the lowly shepherds that no one really cared about, got it second. Matthew says that God shared the message with a bunch of magi. What are magi? They're basically Zoroastrian astrologers who didn't even believe in God. They thought the stars were gods. And they looked to the stars and they saw these three things coming together. Two of those, I believe, were 
what's going to happen here on December 21st. Isn't that interesting? That for the first time in 850 years, I think it is, that I think it's Jupiter and Mars are going to kind of converge in the sky. And today, astronomers can look back and they say that it was probably the moon and Jupiter and Mars that converged. That God had put the motion in order at the beginning of creation so that on the very day that his son was born, that they would all finally come together. So that Magi from the east would travel probably a 30 to 60 day journey in order to find this new king. And they didn't even believe it. You see, we are to share the gospel to all people. What does that mean? Well, who do you think you're going to see today? Some of you might go to a restaurant. Should you share the gospel with the waiter or waitress? Yeah, if you can. What about uh, that person that you're standing in line with at the grocery store? Should you find a way to share it with them? Yeah, if you can. But definitely when you go home today, there might be somebody in your home that doesn't know Jesus, has never trusted him as Savior. Find a way to share the gospel with them. Maybe you got a neighbor and you don't think they're a believer. Begin praying today before we even leave this room for their salvation and then ask God, give me an opportunity to share the good news of great joy to those people. And then be a part of the effort of the Southern Baptist Convention of sharing the gospel around the world. We have almost 4,000 missionaries that we support sharing the gospel in all parts of the world. You heard from one last week. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Tim. And you hear uh, about it from, uh, uh, if you go online to imb.org, you can find it. And I'll be posting some things so that you'll be able to see what the Lottie Moon Christmas offering supports. But I want you to know something. We have a message to share to all people. I was reading this week about a uh, pastor who had taken a trip to the Holy Lands. And by the way, our association is looking into starting uh, planning of a mission trip, possibly not this coming year, but the following year to the Holy Lands. But he was in Bethlehem and visiting the Church of the Nativity. Now, the legend is that that's the site where Jesus was born. It's in Bethlehem. It's about that spot. It's possibly true. No one knows for certain. But they've, they've built a beautiful, ornate uh, cathedral over top of it. But if you're willing to wait long enough, you can go down into some caverns where they've dug and you find kind of a, a cave. You know, we always think about it as a stable. It, originally, it was most likely a cave. That's where they kept their animals. And so you go down into this cave. And there are three groups of people who, by the way, for very sad reasons, don't like each other very much. The Roman Catholics, the Greek Orthodox, and Armenian Christians. Armenian are Eastern European Christians. And they together keep up that site. They can agree on one thing, that this place is important. And so they co coordinate and cooperate together. And so you can go and visit there, but you're going to have to stand in a long line. And as you stand there, you notice the different kinds of people, he said. He said, you go and there's Germans, there's Chinese people, there's English people, there's people from all over the world, Spanish-speaking people. I mean, just everywhere you can imagine where there are Christians, there are people who come to the Holy Land and visit that. So he said he had his turn and he finally, after about two hours, got down into the area that they actually believe is the cave. And it's, it's kind of decorated beautifully now. I kind of wish that they would have left it like a cave. That might be some more authentic. But they didn't do that apparently. 
He said, as you're in there, he said, people would kneel and they would pray quietly. It's perfectly silent. And so he got in there and he started kneeling and he was praying. And he said, then someone started to sing. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. And everyone joined in. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. And pretty soon the whole cavern was filled with the echoes of that beautiful Christmas carol. He said, after that, you start to leave. And that's when you, he said, that's when I really noticed the faces of the different kinds of people as I'm climbing the stairs out of that place. But we've been given the good news of great joy for all people. Acts 1.8 says, For you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth with good news of great joy for all people. What is it we have? Good news of great joy for all people. Told you about getting our Christmas tree when I was a teenager. And, uh, you know, we'd decorate it. And then afterwards, we always had a tradition. We'd make some hot chocolate and either sing some Christmas carols when all the family was there. Sometimes, though, as I got a little bit older, it was just me and my mom. (laughs) You know, my sisters were all off away from home at that time. My dad didn't care about it anymore. And so we'd put on a Christmas uh, movie or something. But, you know, it was always enjoyable and it was always important. And for me at that age, it was more about just doing something special with my family or many years, last three years or so with my mom. But you know, you think about this. Your Christmas tree might be sort of the center of your Christmas celebration. After all, where do you gather on Christmas morning? Most of us around our Christmas trees to unopen the presents. But, uh, or to open the presents. You don't unopen them. I guess that's wrapping, isn't it? Anyway. But you know, that that whole process is kind of really all about us, isn't it? It might be about you giving to someone else, but it's also about you getting from someone else. But just remember, this Christmas, remind yourself as you're buying your gifts, as you're wrapping your gifts, if you just see a gift, remember the greatest gift that you've ever received. That is, if... You've received it. The gift of good news. Of great joy. For all people. That after all is the perfect tree. As we just heard sung about. Here's my prayer. Number one, that you have the good news in your heart. I look at this room and I see most of you, if not all of you, have trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you haven't. There might be some of you at home watching this online. Or you might be listening to the podcast of this sermon later. Have you received the good news? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you prayed and said, I'm sorry for my sins. Will you please forgive me? Take away all my sins. And I promise from now on, I will live for you by sharing the good news of great joy for all people. Second prayer, that the good news will be the center of your celebration. We say this every year. But I'll be honest, we're not real good at it. We're not real good at remembering it. And one of the ways I know that is you go out in public and people get frustrated and start honking their horns at each other and pushing each other and 
getting in the way of each other. And you look at the poor workers who have to be out in all of that. And this year it's even more concerned because a lot of them are afraid. Am I going to get COVID or whatever? You know, just share the good news with a smile and a kind remark. And you know the best time to do that is when the worker messes up. And you would normally get angry. Instead, just be polite. Hey, that's okay. I, I make mistakes too. Don't worry about it. If it's your server at a restaurant, give them a big tip anyway. Whatever it is, just share the good news by the way you act as well as the words that you say. Find someone to tell that good news. And my last prayer is this. I really kind of hinted to it already. And that is, I pray God gives you through his Holy Spirit a celebration attitude every day. Not just at Christmas time, but especially during this month. Thank you so much for listening to our sermons from High Peak. I'm Dr. Kevin Purcell, the pastor of High Peak Baptist Church. And if God has really spoken to you through this message, please get in touch with me. You can go over to highpeakchurch.com and look for a way to contact us. Or if you want, you can come directly to me at pastor at highpeakchurch.com. We're also on Facebook, searching for High Peak Church. We'd love to see you. We have our services every Sunday morning at 11 a.m., Sunday evening at 6 p.m. in our fellowship hall, and then also midweek service on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Please come and join us. We've got classes for all ages. God bless you, and thanks for listening. Christmas, um, it seems like someone in my family gave my mother a, a nativity scene. Uh, she loved them. It was her favorite thing. She would absolutely adore this one right down here on the altar table. Uh, that's just such a beautiful scene, and it's so wonderful every year when we get to see it. Uh, she, would, she would love that, and probably uh, uh, maybe for the very first time in her life be guilty of theft probably taking parts of it home with her if she was here but uh, you know we've been thinking about the symbols of Christmas in our Christmas season and the first one we looked at was the Christmas tree representing good news of great joy for all people and then last week we looked at the Christmas wreath maybe not the most thought of symbol of Christmas but it's one of victory, and that's why I felt it important to include it, even though it's often overlooked, even in my thinking about Christmas. And as most people, when I did my poll last week on Facebook, chose something other than the Christmas wreath, you can guess what they picked. The nativity scene. And you think about that, how fitting that is, because it is... A beautiful symbol with Christ at the center. Jesus, our Christ, our Emmanuel. And tonight I want us to think about that. I brought with me one of the nativity scenes that was important to me because 
As a sixth grader way back in 1980, 40 years ago, I made this little uh, stable out of toothpicks. And my mom would put a tiny little nativity in it, changing it from time to time. And the one that was in it when she passed away about 10 years ago now was the one that's in it on our communion table down front. And I just felt like that was sort of my way of (laughs) saying thank you to my mom uh, for the faith that she brought into my life. And it's Jesus at the center of it. So let's, as we think about that, turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 and read the Christmas story as we think about it. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. It says, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way after his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph. It was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son And you are to name him, what is that name? Jesus. Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the gospel. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him, what? Emmanuel, which is translated, what? God with us. When Joseph woke up and did as the Lord's angel had commanded him, he married her but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son and he named him Jesus. But look again at verse 21. You are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Let's think about that name. You know, what's in a name? Names are important. Uh, Names are incredibly important in Hebrew culture where Jesus grew up. They're they're not as important for us today. We don't think so much about the meaning of our names. Do you know the meaning of your name? Many of you probably do. You've probably been told. uh, As I've looked mine up, it's different things from time to time depending on where I look. But, you know, Jesus, the name Jesus is actually a a, a Hellenized, that's a term for Greek culture. It's a a Greek form of the name Yeshua, or as it's often been said in English, Joshua. And, you know, there were a couple of prominent Joshuas in the Old Testament. There's Joshua who fit the battle at Jericho, as the song says. There was also a high priest named Joshua. And this is a popular name. Not just in today's uh, Latino culture, but in ancient Hebrew culture. It's kind of like a John or a William. Fairly well known. Fairly popular. But the fact that Jesus was given that name wasn't just because it was popular. It wasn't because of some past relative or maybe just because Mary or Joseph liked the sound of it. It was given because of a command of God to share a message, a meaning. And that meaning is who Jesus would be. When you look up the name Jesus, 
It means a number of things. It means one who is strong. It means one who is faithful, one who is obedient. You know, and all of those fit Jesus perfectly, don't they? He is strong. To be able to withstand the punishment and the ridicule of the cross without fighting back, in my mind, is incredible strength. Especially if you've ever been put in a situation where you've been ridiculed or when you've been hit. It takes all of your effort not to fight back. It's easy to lash out. Jesus did the hard thing. Jesus was faithful. He was willing to go to the cross. Knowing everything he knew about our sin and the kinds of people we would be, he still went. He did it faithfully. And I think that also tells us he was obedient. Faithfulness leads to obedience. Faithfulness is your commitment to a cause, or in this case, a person, or uh, a, a group of people. But obedience is the character trait that results from faithfulness. But you know, the real meaning is deliver, Savior. That's the most prominent and important meaning. Jesus is our deliverer, our Savior. Without his strength, he would have been unable to do what he did, to go through all that he went through, to leave heaven, to come to earth. Without his faithfulness, he would have been probably unwilling to do all that he did, to leave heaven, to come to earth. Without his obedience, he never would have followed through on the commitment that came from his faithfulness and his strength. These three things, all of what made Jesus the last one, the deliverer, our savior. You know, a few years ago, someone came up with a DNA test that was formulated to predict children and their athleticism. Uh, they came up with this genetic test. They found that certain people were predisposed to be more athletic. I'm guessing that if I took the test, I wouldn't have passed it. <laughs> Although I played some sports, I wasn't ever the best and seldom ever even in the middle of the pack. I usually brought up the rear. But, you know, they had this genetic thing. And the hope was that parents could then see that their child, their son, or even their daughter had that genetic predisposition towards athleticism. And they could then sort of channel them into it. But if they didn't, they could channel them in other more productive ways. And so you can imagine the dad getting those test results, finding that his son was destined to be a great athlete maybe the star quarterback or the center of the basketball team or the pitcher on the baseball team or, or whatever. Or, or uh, his daughter thinking, wow, she's going to play in the Olympics on the soccer team. And uh, people would come around, oh, yeah, there's your son. What do you call him? I call him 401K <laughs> because he is going to make sure my retirement is settled because of his athleticism. You know, we have dreams for our kids, don't we? I bet all of you, when your children were born, when they were growing up, you had dreams for them. Have your dreams been met? Have they been disappointing? Know this, Jesus was given to Mary and Joseph to care for, to take care of. After all, we said it this morning, Joseph, anybody remember this morning? What do you say, Joseph? Got to take care of the baby. <laughs> it's our job to take care of our children. But in a dream, they were promised who he would become. The deliverer, the savior of the world. 
And that leads us to a, a second name, one that's not specifically mentioned in this passage. But, you know, Christ or Messiah is a term that we think of when we think of Jesus. A lot of people think that that's just Jesus' last name. You know, it's Jesus Christ. I'm Kevin Purcell. No, that's not his last name. It's more of a title. It's more of an a, a identifier of who he was in the history of this nation of Israel. He was the Messiah, the anointed one. And who was anointed in Old Testament history but the king and the priest? And Jesus was both. He was the anointed one. You know, we think about our closest thing to a monarchy in this country is the English monarchy. You know, we have right now more princes of England alive at one time than maybe in a long time. You've got Prince Charles, Prince William, his son, and then little Prince George. And all of them are lying in or standing in wait of the time when they would assume the throne. Excuse me, if they will. None of them is certain to inherit. None of them can say without any doubt whatsoever that they will inherit. Because what if the worst thing should happen? And one of them passed away before the queen was gone. We understand that maybe she's getting weaker. So who knows? Maybe in the very next few years it could happen that Prince Charles could take the throne. But what if he can't? Then maybe it would have to be Prince William. And what if both of them can't? And then it's little Prince George. Wouldn't that be interesting? But I bring that up to say this. Jesus was guaranteed by heaven to be the anointed one. And he is indeed king of kings. What does that mean? If you're concerned about a power in this world, don't worry about it. Because God has ultimate power. And he's already given it with a guarantee that Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, would be that anointed one. The death of Jesus was so significant to the people of Israel because they didn't think that it was even possible that their Messiah could die. They had kind of skipped over those Old Testament prophecies like Isaiah 53 that says the, the Messiah, the Christ, had to be pierced for our transgressions. They ignored all of that. They didn't get it. Fortunately, when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, they learned and understood and they could then share that message. And it is our message to the world. The Messiah, the Christ. He is our Savior and He is our King. But the third one that does show up in this passage, He is our Emmanuel. Look again at verse 22 and 23. It says, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See? The virgin will, begin, will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him, or they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, have you seen the name Emmanuel? Sometimes it's Emmanuel, and sometimes it's Emmanuel. You see the difference? I've got it printed up there for you. I, Emmanuel, E, Emmanuel. If it's an E, it's because they're taking it from a Greek translation, the Greek origins of that Old Testament scripture that verse 23 quotes. If it's I, then it comes from a Hebrew. But you know what? It doesn't matter whether it's Greek or Hebrew. It's true. 
And he is, whether you're Greek or Hebrew or some other you know, character, some other uh, uh, origin, ethnically speaking, he is your God and he promises he'll be with you. With us. God with us. You know, God is with us because of the birth of Jesus Christ. He left heaven to come to earth. I remember a young man in my last church who was a, one of the youth. And uh, he was kind of surprised when in a sermon I said, God came to this earth in the form of Jesus. He came up to me afterwards. You're not saying Jesus is God. I said, that's exactly what I'm saying. For some reason, he had never heard that. Or if he had heard it, it didn't sink into his head. And we had a conversation about it. He was someone who loved to read scripture and study it. Uh, For a while, he even thought maybe he was called to preach. I still think he was. And he's missed his calling, unfortunately. And now he's out of the faith mostly. But he said, there's no way that's true. How can that be true? And we had to debate over it for weeks. Imagine a 16-year-old kid debating with this preacher, but he was that kind of precocious young man and had that kind of mind. And finally he realized it in studying scripture, it hit him. And when that hit him, he was wowed. The idea that God left heaven, took on a human form, lived like one of us and then died. As a 16-year-old, he had been through difficulties, but I'm sure many of us who have lived much longer lives can say, if I didn't have to leave heaven, I wouldn't have ever left heaven. But God was willing. And so God became a man. God with us. What an amazing thing he did for me and he did for you. And we celebrate that at this time. But you know, another holiday that we seldom ever really celebrate, especially in the Baptist tradition, and that is the holiday of Pentecost. That is the celebration of when the Holy Spirit finally did literally come upon people. And that happened on that day. And ever since then, every person who's ever been saved has received the Holy Spirit in their heart and in their life. Jesus promised this in Acts chapter 1, and he delivered on the promise in Acts chapter 2. He went to heaven so that the Holy Spirit could come and be with us. God with us. It was 1963, the first nuclear attack submarine, Thresher, had its first test run. It was a deep sea diving sub designed to go incredibly deep and stay there for a long period of time in case of nuclear war. And it ran for months. However, during its first test of its nuclear engines, it decided to engage them and then it went deep and it sank to the bottom of the sea. There was a failure in the engine. It didn't work. They could no longer drive themselves as a submarine and the backup engines didn't engage afterwards. It was a huge mechanical failure, but more importantly, 129 souls alive on that ship, that submarine died that day. What had happened is the sub just sunk to the bottom of the sea and when it got so far below, it was 8,400 feet below the surface of the sea, the pressure just crushed it like, a, like an egg and destroyed it and killed everyone on board. Now that really wasn't surprising. Scientists knew that would happen. It wasn't designed to go that deep. It was never supposed to go that deep. But what shocked them is that they sent another vessel that was designed to withstand that, but it was small. 
And so it couldn't fit the munitions. It was essentially there just to recover from such missions. And they went down to try to find the wreckage, and they did. And they saw there were bodies, and they tried their best to recover some of the bodies. But what they were stunned to find at 8,400 feet below sea level were fish. Fish. You know, like fish, (laughs) scale them, fry them up, eat them. How in the world can this huge attack submarine be crushed by the depths and the the pressure, and yet a fish can swim around happy-go-lucky as if there's nothing wrong? (laughs) The answer is the design of a creator God. The amazing way in which God fashioned them so that they would have parts of their innards would push outward at the same time as the sea. And as they went up and down, that stuff on the inside, I'm not a biologist, I can't explain it, but that stuff, whatever it was that would press outward to equal out the pressure, it would get lighter or stronger as the, as the fish went up and down. And it could easily withstand that pressure. That's amazing, isn't it? Scientists have searched it, this wonderful secret, the pressure from within pushing out equally, matching the pressure from without. Did you hear that? The pressure from within matching the pressure from without. God with us, the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. He is our Savior. He can save you of your sins right now. If you'll just simply believe, confess your sins, admit your sinfulness to him, and commit to live your life trusting him. He is your king. That's what he will become. He will be in charge of your life. That's the surrender that we give to him. (laughs) And after that's all done, at the very moment that you make that, ch- that decision, that choice, all of this happens at once. He becomes your companion. The pressure from within, the strength within you, the power of the creator God within you will match the power on the outside. If only you will believe. If only you will trust. If only you will just be held by his wonderful arms of love. And so tonight, as we celebrate our communion service, our very different and slightly unusual communion service during uh, this era, we want you to know that as you partake of it, it's in one way symbolizing what you've already done in your life. You've accepted that gift of grace. You've accepted that gift of forgiveness and love, but you've also accepted God with us, Emmanuel. He is here. He is with you, and he is ready to be there for you at all circumstances and at all times. Thank you so much for listening to our sermons from High Peak. I'm Dr. Kevin Purcell, the pastor of High Peak Baptist Church. And if God has really spoken to you through this message, please get in touch with me. You can go over to highpeakchurch.com and look for a way to contact us. Or if you want, you can come directly to me at pastor at highpeakchurch.com. We're also on Facebook, searching for High Peak Church. We'd love to see you. We have our services every Sunday morning 
at 11 a.m., Sunday evening at 6 p.m. in our fellowship hall, and then also midweek service on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Please come and join us. We've got classes for all ages. God bless you, and thanks for listening. Christmas, um, it seems like someone in my family gave my mother a, a nativity scene. Uh, she loved them. It was her favorite thing. She would absolutely adore this one right down here on the altar table. Uh, that's just such a beautiful scene, and it's so wonderful every year when we get to see it. Uh, she, would, she would love that, and probably uh, uh, maybe for the very first time in her life be guilty of theft probably taking parts of it home with her if she was here. But, uh, you know, we've been thinking about the symbols of Christmas in our Christmas season. And the first one we looked at was the Christmas tree, representing good news of great joy for all people. And then last week we looked at the Christmas wreath, maybe not the most thought of symbol of Christmas, but it's one of victory, and that's why I felt it important to include it, even though it's often overlooked, even in my thinking about Christmas. And as most people, when I did my poll last week on Facebook, chose something other than the Christmas wreath, you can guess what they picked. The nativity scene. And you think about that, how fitting that is, because it is... A beautiful symbol with Christ at the center. Jesus, our Christ, our Emmanuel. And tonight I want us to think about that. I brought with me one of the nativity scenes that was important to me because as a sixth grader way back in 1980, 40 years ago, I made this little uh, stable out of toothpicks. And my mom would put a tiny little nativity in it changing it from time to time. And the one that was in it when she passed away about 10 years ago now was the one that's in it on our communion table down front. And I just felt like that was sort of my way of <laughs> saying thank you to my mom uh, for the faith that she brought into my life. And it's Jesus at the center of it. So let's, as we think about that, turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 and read the Christmas story. As we think about it, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. <clears throat> it says, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. 
Because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him. What is that name? Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the gospel. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him what? Emmanuel, which is translated, what? God with us. When Joseph woke up and did as the Lord's angel had commanded him, he married her but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son and he named him Jesus. But look again at verse 21. You are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Let's think about that name. You know, what's in a name? Names are important. Uh, names are incredibly important in Hebrew culture where Jesus grew up. They're, they're not as important for us today. We don't think so much about the meaning of our names. Do you know the meaning of your name? Many of you probably do. You've probably been told. Uh, as I've looked mine up, it's different things from time to time, depending on where I look. But, you know, Jesus, the name Jesus is actually a, a, a Hellenized, that's a term for Greek culture. It's a, a Greek form of the name Yeshua. Or, as it's often been said in English, Joshua. And, you know, there were a couple of prominent Joshuas in the Old Testament. There's Joshua, who fit the battle at Jericho, as the song says. There was also a high priest named Joshua. And this is a popular name. Not just in today's uh, Latino culture, but in ancient Hebrew culture. It's kind of like a John or a William. Fairly well known. Fairly popular. But the fact that Jesus was given that name wasn't just because it was popular. It wasn't because of some past relative or maybe just because Mary or Joseph liked the sound of it. It was given because of a command of God to share a message, a meaning. And that meaning is who Jesus would be. When you look up the name Jesus, it means a number of things. It means one who is strong. It means one who is faithful, one who is obedient. You know, and all of those fit Jesus perfectly, don't they? He is strong. To be able to withstand the punishment and the ridicule of the cross without fighting back, in my mind, is incredible strength. Especially if you've ever been put in a situation where you've been ridiculed or when you've been hit. It takes all of your effort not to fight back. It's easy to lash out. Jesus did the hard thing. Jesus was faithful. He was willing to go to the cross. Knowing everything he knew about our sin and the kinds of people we would be, he still went. He did it faithfully. And I think that also tells us he was obedient. Faithfulness leads to obedience. Faithfulness is your commitment to a cause, or in this case, a person, or uh, a, a group of people. But obedience is the character trait that results from faithfulness. But you know, the real meaning is deliverer, savior. That's the most prominent and important meaning. Jesus is our deliverer, our savior. Without his strength, he would have been unable to do what he did, to go through all that he went through, to leave heaven, to come to earth. 
Without his faithfulness, he would have been probably unwilling to do all that he did to leave heaven to come to earth. Without his obedience, he never would have followed through on the commitment that came from his faithfulness and his strength. These three things, all of what made Jesus the last one, the deliverer, our savior. You know, a few years ago, someone came up with a DNA test that was formulated to predict children and their athleticism. Uh, They came up with this genetic test. They found that certain people were predisposed to be more athletic. I'm guessing that if I took the test, I wouldn't have passed it. (laughs) Although I played some sports, I wasn't ever the best and seldom ever even in the middle of the pack. I usually brought up the rear. But, you know, they had this genetic thing. And the hope was that parents could then see that their child, their son, or even their daughter had that genetic predisposition towards athleticism. And they could then sort of channel them into it. But if they didn't, they could channel them in other more productive ways. And so you can imagine the dad getting those test results, finding that his son was destined to be a great athlete maybe the star quarterback or the center of the basketball team or the pitcher on the baseball team or, or whatever. Or, or uh, his daughter thinking, wow, she's going to play in the Olympics on the soccer team. And uh, people would come around, oh, yeah, there's your son. What do you call him? I call him 401K <laughs> because he is going to make sure my retirement is settled because of his athleticism. You know, we have dreams for our kids, don't we? I bet all of you, when your children were born, when they were growing up, you had dreams for them. Have your dreams been met? Have they been disappointing? Know this, Jesus was given to Mary and Joseph to care for, to take care of. After all, we said it this morning. Joseph? Anybody remember this morning? What do you say, Joseph? Got to take care of the baby. (laughs) It's our job to take care of our children. But in a dream, they were promised who he would become. The deliverer, the savior of the world. And that leads us to a a second name. One that's not specifically mentioned in this passage. But, you know, Christ or Messiah is a term that we think of when we think of Jesus. A lot of people think that that's just Jesus' last name. You know, it's Jesus Christ. I'm Kevin Purcell. No, that's not his last name. It's more of a title. It's more of an a, a identifier of who he was in the history of this nation of Israel. He was the Messiah, the anointed one. And who was anointed in Old Testament history but the king and the priest? And Jesus was both. He was the anointed one. You know, we think about our closest thing to a monarchy in this country is the English monarchy. You know, we have right now more princes of England alive at one time than maybe in a long time. You've got Prince Charles, Prince William, his son, and then little Prince George. And all of them are lying in or standing in wait of the time when they would assume the throne, excuse me, if they will. None of them is certain to inherit. None of them can say without any doubt whatsoever that they will inherit. Because what if the worst thing should happen? And one of them passed away before the queen was gone. 
We understand that maybe she's getting weaker. So who knows, maybe in the very next few years it could happen that Prince Charles could take the throne. But what if he can't? Then maybe it would have to be Prince William. And what if both of them can't? And then it's little Prince George. Wouldn't that be interesting? But I bring that up to say this. Jesus was guaranteed by heaven to be the anointed one. And he is indeed king of kings. What does that mean? If you're concerned about a power in this world, don't worry about it because God has ultimate power and he's already given it with a guarantee that Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ would be that anointed one. The death of Jesus was so significant to the people of Israel because they didn't think that it was even possible that their Messiah could die. They had kind of skipped over those Old Testament prophecies like Isaiah 53 that says the, the Messiah, the Christ, had to be pierced for our transgressions. They ignored all of that. They didn't get it. Fortunately, when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, they learned and understood and they could then share that message. And it is our message to the world. The Messiah, the Christ, he is our Savior and he is our King. But the third one that does show up in this passage, he is our Emmanuel. Look again at verse 22 and 23. It says, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will, begin, will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him, or they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, have you seen the name Emmanuel? Sometimes it's Emmanuel and sometimes it's Emmanuel. You see the difference? I've got it printed up there for you. I, Emmanuel, E, Emmanuel. If it's an E, it's because they're taking it from a Greek translation, the Greek origins of that Old Testament scripture that verse 23 quotes. If it's I, then it comes from a Hebrew. But you know what? It doesn't matter whether it's Greek or Hebrew. It's true. And he is, whether you're Greek or Hebrew or some other, you know, character, some other uh, uh, origin, ethnically speaking, he is your God and he promises he'll be with you, with us, God with us. You know, God is with us because of the birth of Jesus Christ. He left heaven to come to earth. I remember a young man in my last church who was a, one of the youth and, uh, he was kind of surprised when in a sermon I said, God came to this earth in the form of Jesus. He came up to me afterwards. You're not saying Jesus is God. I said, that's exactly what I'm saying. For some reason, he had never heard that. Or if he had heard it, it didn't sink into his head. And we had a conversation about it. He was someone who loved to read scripture and study it. Uh, for a while, he even thought maybe he was called to preach. I still think he was. And he's missed his calling, unfortunately. And now he's out of the faith mostly. But he said, there's no way that's true. How can that be true? And we had to debate over it for weeks. Imagine a 16-year-old kid debating with this preacher. But he was that kind of precocious young man and had that kind of mind. And finally, he realized it. In studying scripture, it hit him. And when that hit him, he was wowed. The idea that God left heaven, took on a human form, lived like one of us, and then died. 
As a 16-year-old, he had been through difficulties, but I'm sure many of us who have lived much longer lives can say, if I didn't have to leave heaven, I wouldn't have ever left heaven. But God was willing. And so God became a man. God with us. What an amazing thing he did for me and he did for you. And we celebrate that at this time. But you know, another holiday that we seldom ever really celebrate, especially in the Baptist tradition, and that is the holiday of Pentecost. That is the celebration of when the Holy Spirit finally did literally come upon people. And that happened on that day. And ever since then, every person who's ever been saved has received the Holy Spirit in their heart and in their life. Jesus promised this in Acts chapter 1, and he delivered on the promise in Acts chapter 2. He went to heaven so that the Holy Spirit could come and be with us. God with us. It was 1963, the first nuclear attack submarine, Thresher, had its first test run. It was a deep sea diving sub designed to go incredibly deep and stay there for a long period of time in case of nuclear war. And it ran for months. However, during its first test of its nuclear engines, it decided to engage them and then it went deep and it sank to the bottom of the sea. There was a failure in the engine. It didn't work. They could no longer drive themselves as a submarine and the backup engines didn't engage afterwards. It was a huge mechanical failure, but more importantly, 129 souls alive on that ship, that submarine, died that day. What had happened is the sub just sunk to the bottom of the sea, and when it got so far below, it was 8,400 feet below the surface of the sea, the pressure just crushed it like, a, like an egg and destroyed it and killed everyone on board. Now, that really wasn't surprising. Scientists knew that would happen. It wasn't designed to go that deep. It was never supposed to go that deep. But what shocked them is that they sent another vessel that was designed to withstand that, but it was small, and so it couldn't fit the munitions. It was essentially there just to recover from such missions. And they went down to try to find the wreckage, and they did, and they saw there were bodies, and they tried their best to recover some of the bodies. But what they were stunned to find at 8,400 feet below sea level were fish. Fish. You know, like fish, <laughs> scale them, fry them up, eat them. How in the world can this huge attack submarine be crushed by the depths and the, the pressure and yet a fish can swim around happy-go-lucky as if there's nothing wrong? The answer is the design of a creator God. The amazing way in which God fashioned them so that they would have parts of their innards would push outward at the same time as the sea. And as they went up and down, that stuff on the inside, I'm not a biologist, I can't explain it, but that stuff, whatever it was that would press outward to equal out the pressure, it would get lighter or Stronger as the, as the fish went up and down. And it could easily withstand that pressure. That's amazing, isn't it? Scientists have searched it. 
this wonderful secret, the pressure from within pushing out equally, matching the pressure from without. Did you hear that? The pressure from within matching the pressure from without. God with us. The indwelling of his Holy Spirit. He is our Savior. He can save you of your sins right now. If you'll just simply believe, confess your sins, admit your sinfulness to him, and commit to live your life trusting him. He is your king. That's what he will become. He will be in charge of your life. That's the surrender that we give to him. <laughs> and after that's all done, at the very moment that you make that, that decision, that choice, all of this happens at once. He becomes your companion. The pressure from within, the strength within you, the power of the creator God within you will match the power on the outside. If only you will believe. If only you will trust. If only you will just be held by his wonderful arms of love. And so tonight as we celebrate our communion service, our very different and slightly unusual communion service during uh, this era, we want you to know that as you partake of it, it's in one way symbolizing what you've already done in your life. You've accepted that gift of grace. You've accepted that gift of forgiveness and love, but you've also accepted God with us, Emmanuel. He is here. He is with you, and he is ready to be there for you at all circumstances and at all times. Thank you so much for listening to our sermons from High Peak. I'm Dr. Kevin Purcell, the pastor of High Peak Baptist Church. And if God has really spoken to you through this message, please get in touch with me. You can go over to highpeakchurch.com and look for a way to contact us. Or if you want, you can come directly to me at pastor at highpeakchurch.com. We're also on Facebook, searching for High Peak Church. We'd love to see you. We have our services every Sunday morning at 11 a.m., Sunday evening at 6 p.m. in our fellowship hall, and then also midweek service on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Please come and join us. We've got classes for all ages. God bless you, and thanks for listening. Christmas, um, it seems like someone in my family gave my mother a, a nativity scene. Uh, she loved them. It was her favorite thing. She would absolutely adore this one right down here on the altar table. Uh, that's just such a beautiful scene, and it's so wonderful every year when we get to see it. Uh, she, would, she would love that, and probably uh, uh, maybe for the very first time in her life be guilty of theft probably taking parts of it home with her if she was here. But, uh, you know, we've been thinking about the symbols of Christmas in our Christmas season. And the first one we looked at was the Christmas tree. 
representing good news of great joy for all people. And then last week, we looked at the Christmas wreath. Maybe not the most thought of symbol of Christmas, but it's one of victory. And that's why I felt it important to include it, even though it's often overlooked, even in my thinking about Christmas. And as most people, when I did my poll last week on Facebook, chose something other than the Christmas wreath, you can guess what they picked. The nativity scene. And you think about that, how fitting that is, because it is a beautiful symbol with Christ at the center. Jesus, our Christ, our Emmanuel. And tonight I want us to think about that. I brought with me one of the nativity scenes that was important to me because as a sixth grader way back in 1980, 40 years ago, I made this little uh, stable out of toothpicks. And my mom would put a tiny little nativity in it, changing it from time to time. And the one that was in it when she passed away about 10 years ago now was the one that's in it on our communion table down front. And I just felt like that was sort of my way of <laughs> saying thank you to my mom uh, for the faith that she brought into my life. And it's Jesus at the center of it. So let's, as we think about that, turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 and read the Christmas story as we think about it. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. <clears throat> says, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way after his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph. It was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph! Son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him, what is that name? Jesus. Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the gospel. See. The virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him what? Emmanuel, which is translated what? God with us. When Joseph woke up and did as the Lord's angel had commanded him, he married her but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. But look again at verse 21. You are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Let's think about that name. You know, what's in a name? Names are important. Uh, names are incredibly important in Hebrew culture where Jesus grew up. They're, they're not as important for us today. We don't think so much about the meaning of our names. Do you know the meaning of your name? Many of you probably do. You've probably been told. Uh, as I've looked mine up, it's different things from time to time, depending on where I look. 
But you know, Jesus, the name Jesus is actually a, a, a Hellenized, that's a term for Greek culture. It's a, a Greek form of the name Yeshua. Or, as it's often been said in English, Joshua. And you know, there were a couple of prominent Joshuas in the Old Testament. There's Joshua who fit the battle at Jericho, as the song says. There was also a high priest named Joshua. And this is a popular name, not just in today's uh, Latino culture, but in ancient Hebrew culture. It's kind of like a John or a William. Fairly well known, fairly popular. But the fact that Jesus was given that name wasn't just because it was popular. It wasn't because of some past relative or maybe just because Mary or Joseph liked the sound of it. It was given because of a command of God to share a message, a meaning. And that meaning is who Jesus would be. When you look up the name Jesus, it means a number of things. It means one who is strong. It means one who is faithful, one who is obedient. You know, and all of those fit Jesus perfectly, don't they? He is strong. To be able to withstand the punishment and the ridicule of the cross without fighting back in my mind, is incredible strength. Especially if you've ever been put in a situation where you've been ridiculed or when you've been hit. It takes all of your effort not to fight back. It's easy to lash out. Jesus did the hard thing. Jesus was faithful. He was willing to go to the cross. Knowing everything he knew about our sin and the kinds of people we would be, he still went. He did it faithfully. And I think that also tells us he was obedient. Faithfulness leads to obedience. Faithfulness is your commitment to a cause, or in this case, a person, or uh, a, a group of people. But obedience is the character trait that results from faithfulness. But you know, the real meaning is deliverer, savior. That's the most prominent and important meaning. Jesus is our deliverer our Savior. Without his strength, he would have been unable to do what he did, to go through all that he went through, to leave heaven, to come to earth. Without his faithfulness, he would have been probably unwilling to do all that he did, to leave heaven, to come to earth. Without his obedience, he never would have followed through on the commitment that came from his faithfulness and his strength. These three things all of what made Jesus the last one, the deliverer, our savior. You know, a few years ago, someone came up with a DNA test that was formulated to predict children and their athleticism. Uh, they came up with this genetic test. They found that certain people were predisposed to be more athletic. I'm guessing that if I took the test, I wouldn't have passed it. <laughs> Although I played some sports, I wasn't ever the best and seldom ever even in the middle of the pack. I usually brought up the rear. But, you know, they had this genetic thing. And the hope was that parents could then see that their child, their son, or even their daughter had that genetic predisposition towards athleticism. And they could then sort of channel them into it. But if they didn't, they could channel them in other more productive ways. And so you can imagine the dad getting those test results, finding that his son was destined to be a great athlete, 
maybe the star quarterback or the center of the basketball team or the pitcher on the baseball team or, or whatever. Or, or uh, his daughter thinking, wow, she's going to play in the Olympics on the soccer team. And uh, people would come around, oh yeah, there's your son. What do you call him? I call him 401k <laughs> because he is going to make sure my retirement is settled because of his athleticism. You know, we have dreams for our kids, don't we? I bet all of you, when your children were born, when they were growing up, you had dreams for them. Have your dreams been met? Have they been disappointing? Know this, Jesus was given to Mary and Joseph to care for, to take care of. After all, we said it this morning, Joseph, anybody remember this morning? What do you say, Joseph? Got to take care of the baby. <laughs> it's our job to take care of our children. But in a dream, they were promised who he would become. The deliverer, the savior of the world. And that leads us to a, a second name, one that's not specifically mentioned in this passage. But, you know, Christ or Messiah is a term that we think of when we think of Jesus. A lot of people think that that's just Jesus' last name. You know, it's Jesus Christ. I'm Kevin Purcell. No, that's not his last name. It's more of a title. It's more of an a, a identifier of who he was in the history of this nation of Israel. He was the Messiah, the anointed one. And who was anointed in Old Testament history but the king and the priest? And Jesus was both. He was the anointed one. You know, we think about our closest thing to a monarchy in this country is the English monarchy. You know, we have right now more princes of England alive at one time than maybe in a long time. You've got Prince Charles, Prince William, his son, and then little Prince George. And all of them are lying in or standing in wait of the time when they would assume the throne. Excuse me, if they will. None of them is certain to inherit. None of them can say without any doubt whatsoever that they will inherit. Because what if the worst thing should happen? And one of them passed away before the queen was gone. We understand that maybe she's getting weaker. So who knows? Maybe in the very next few years it could happen that Prince Charles could take the throne. But what if he can't? Then maybe it would have to be Prince William. And what if both of them can't? And then it's little Prince George. Wouldn't that be interesting? But I bring that up to say this. Jesus was guaranteed by heaven to be the anointed one. And he is indeed king of kings. What does that mean? If you're concerned about a power in this world, don't worry about it. Because God has ultimate power. And he's already given it with a guarantee that Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, would be that anointed one. The death of Jesus was so significant to the people of Israel because they didn't think that it was even possible that their Messiah could die. They had kind of skipped over those Old Testament prophecies like Isaiah 53 that says the, the Messiah, the Christ, had to be pierced for our transgressions. They ignored all of that. They didn't get it. Fortunately, when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, they learned and understood and they could then share that message. And it is our message to the world. The Messiah, the Christ. He is our Savior. 
and he is our king. But the third one that does show up in this passage, he is our Emmanuel. Look again at verse 22 and 23. It says, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will, begin, will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him, or they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, have you seen the name Emmanuel? Sometimes it's Emmanuel, and sometimes it's Emmanuel. You see the difference? I've got it printed up there for you. I, Emmanuel, E, Emmanuel. If it's an E, it's because they're taking it from a Greek translation, the Greek origins of that Old Testament scripture that verse 23 quotes. If it's I, then it comes from a Hebrew. But you know what? It doesn't matter whether it's Greek or Hebrew. It's true. And he is, whether you're Greek or Hebrew or some other you know, character, some other uh, uh, origin, ethnically speaking. He is your God, and he promises he'll be with you, with us, God with us. You know, God is with us because of the birth of Jesus Christ. He left heaven to come to earth. I remember a young man in my last church who was a, one of the youth, and uh, he was kind of surprised when in a sermon I said, God came to this earth in the form of Jesus. He came up to me afterwards. You're not saying Jesus is God. I said, that's exactly what I'm saying. For some reason, he had never heard that. Or if he had heard it, it didn't sink into his head. And we had a conversation about it. He was someone who loved to read scripture and study it. Uh, for a while, he even thought maybe he was called to preach. I still think he was. And he's missed his calling, unfortunately. And now he's out of the faith mostly. But he said... There's no way that's true. How can that be true? And we had to debate over it for weeks. Imagine a 16-year-old kid debating with this preacher. But he was that kind of precocious young man and had that kind of mind. And finally he realized it. In studying scripture, it hit him. And when that hit him, he was wowed. The idea that God left heaven, took on a human form, lived like one of us, and then died. As a 16-year-old, he had been through difficulties, but I'm sure many of us who have lived much longer lives can say, if I didn't have to leave heaven, I wouldn't have ever left heaven. But God was willing. And so God became a man. God with us. What an amazing thing he did for me and he did for you. And we celebrate that at this time. But you know, another holiday that we seldom ever really celebrate, especially in the Baptist tradition, and that is the holiday of Pentecost. That is the celebration of when the Holy Spirit finally did literally come upon people. And that happened on that day. And ever since then, every person who's ever been saved has received the Holy Spirit in their heart and in their life. Jesus promised this in Acts chapter 1, and he delivered on the promise in Acts chapter 2. He went to heaven so that the Holy Spirit could come and be with us. God with us. It was 1963, the first nuclear attack submarine, Thresher, had its first test run. It was a deep sea diving sub designed to go incredibly deep and stay there for a long period of time in case of nuclear war. And it ran for months. 
However, during its first test of its nuclear engines, it decided to engage them and then it went deep and it sank to the bottom of the sea. There was a failure in the engine. It didn't work. They could no longer drive themselves as a submarine and the backup engines didn't engage afterwards. It was a huge mechanical failure, but more importantly, 129 souls alive on that ship, that submarine, died that day. What had happened is the sub just sunk to the bottom of the sea, and when it got so far below, it was 8,400 feet below the surface of the sea, the pressure just crushed it like, a, like an egg and destroyed it and killed everyone on board. Now, that really wasn't surprising. Scientists knew that would happen. It wasn't designed to go that deep. It was never supposed to go that deep. But what shocked them is that they sent another vessel that was designed to withstand that, but it was small, and so it couldn't fit the munitions. It was essentially there just to recover from such missions. And they went down to try to find the wreckage, and they did, and they saw there were bodies, and they tried their best to recover some of the bodies. But what they were stunned to find at 8,400 feet below sea level were fish. Fish. You know, like fish, <laughs> scale them, fry them up, eat them. How in the world can this huge attack submarine be crushed by the depths and the, the pressure, and yet a fish can swim around happy-go-lucky as if there's nothing wrong? <laughs> the answer is the design of a creator God. The amazing way in which God fashioned them so that they would have parts of their innards would push outward at the same time as the sea. And as they went up and down that stuff on the inside, I'm not a biologist, I can't explain it, but that stuff, whatever it was that would press outward to equal out the pressure, it would get lighter or stronger as the, as the fish went up and down. And it could easily withstand that pressure. That's amazing, isn't it? Scientists have searched it, this wonderful secret the pressure from within pushing out equally, matching the pressure from without. Did you hear that? The pressure from within matching the pressure from without. God with us. The indwelling of his Holy Spirit. He is our Savior. He can save you of your sins right now. If you'll just simply believe, confess your sins, admit your sinfulness to Him, and commit to live your life trusting Him. He is your King. That's what He will become. He will be in charge of your life. That's the surrender that we give to Him. <laughs> and after that's all done... At the very moment that you make that, that decision, that choice, all of this happens at once. He becomes your companion. The pressure from within, the strength within you, the power of the creator God within you will match the power on the outside. If only you will believe. If only you will trust. If only you will just be held by his wonderful arms of love. 
And so tonight, as we celebrate our communion service, our very different and slightly unusual communion service during uh, this era, we want you to know that as you partake of it, it's in one way symbolizing what you've already done in your life. You've accepted that gift of grace. You've accepted that gift of forgiveness and love, but you've also accepted God with us, Emmanuel. He is here. He is with you, and he is ready to be there for you at all circumstances and at all times. Thank you so much for listening to our sermons from High Peak. I'm Dr. Kevin Purcell, the pastor of High Peak Baptist Church. And if God has really spoken to you through this message, please get in touch with me. You can go over to highpeakchurch.com and look for a way to contact us. Or if you want, you can come directly to me at pastor at highpeakchurch.com. We're also on Facebook, searching for High Peak Church. We'd love to see you. We have our services every Sunday morning at 11 a.m., Sunday evening at 6 p.m. in our fellowship hall, and then also midweek service on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Please come and join us. We've got classes for all ages. God bless you, and thanks for listening.